Chapter Nineteen of Marriage, Volume One. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Patty Cunningham. Marriage, Volume One, by Susan Edmonstone Ferrier. Chapter Nineteen. We may boldly spend upon the hope of what is to come in. Henry the Fourth. The birth of twin daughters awakened the young father to a still stronger sense of the total dependence and extreme helplessness of his condition, yet how to remedy it he knew not. To accept of his father's proposal was out of the question, and it was equally impossible for him, were he ever so inclined, to remain much longer a burden on the narrow income of the Laird of Glenfern. One alternative only remained, which was to address the friend and patron of his youth, General Cameron and to him he therefore wrote, describing all the misery of his situation, and imploring his forgiveness and assistance. The old general's passion must have cooled by this time, thought he to himself, as he sealed the letter, and as he has often overlooked former scrapes, I think, after all, he will help me out of this greatest one of all. For once Henry was not mistaken. He received an answer to his letter, in which the general, after execrating his folly in marrying a lady of quality, swearing at the birth of his twin daughters, and giving him some wholesome counsel as to his future mode of life, concluded by informing him that he had got him reinstated in his former rank in the army, that he should settle seven hundred per annum on him till he saw how matters were conducted, and in the meantime enclosed a draft for four hundred pounds to open the campaign. Though this was not, according to Henry's notions, coming down handsomely, Still it was better than not coming down at all, and with a mixture of delight and disappointment he flew to communicate the tidings to Lady Juliana. Seven hundred pounds a year!' exclaimed she in raptures. "'Heavens! What a quantity of money! Why, we shall be quite rich, and I shall have such a beautiful house, and such pretty carriages, and give such parties, and buy so many fine things! Oh, dear, how happy I shall be!' "'You know little of money, Julia, if you think seven hundred pounds will do all that,' replied her husband gravely. "'I hardly think we can afford a house in town, but we may have a pretty cottage at Richmond or Twickenham, and I can keep a curricle and drive you about, you know, and we may give famous good dinners.' A dispute here ensued. Her ladyship hated cottages and curricles and good dinners as much as her husband despised fancy balls, opera-boxes, and chariots. The fact was— that the one knew very nearly as much of the real value of money as the other, and Henry's sober scheme was just as practicable as his wife's extravagant one. Brought up in the luxurious profusion of great house, accustomed to issue her orders and have them obeyed, Lady Juliana, at the time she married, was in the most blissful state of ignorance respecting the value of pounds, shillings, and pence. Her maid took care to have her wardrobe supplied with all things needful and when she wanted a new dress or a fashionable jewel, it was only driving to Madame D's or Mr. Y's and desiring the article to be sent to herself while the bill went to her papa. From never seeing money in its own vulgar form, Lady Juliana had learned to consider it as a mere nominal thing, while on the other hand her husband, from seeing too much of it, had formed almost equally erroneous ideas of its powers. By the mistake kindness of General Cameron, he had been indulged in all the fashionable follies of the day, and allowed to use his patron's ample fortune as if it had already been his own. 
nor was it until he found himself a prisoner at Glenfern from want of money that he had ever attached the smallest importance to it. In short, both the husband and wife had been accustomed to look upon it in the same light as the air they breathed. They knew it essential to life, and concluded that it would come some way or another, either from the east or west, north or south. As for the vulgar concerns of meat and drink, servants' wages, taxes, and so forth, they never found a place in the calculations of either. Birthday dresses, fetes, operas, equipages, and state liveries whirled in rapid succession through Lady Juliana's brain, while clubs, curricles, horses, and claret took possession of her husband's mind. However much they differed in the proposed modes of showing off in London, both agreed perfectly in the necessity of going there, and Henry therefore hastened to inform his father of the change in his circumstances, and apprise him of his intention of immediately joining his regiment, the guards. Seven hundred pound a year!' exclaimed the old gentleman. Seven hundred pound? Oh, what can you make o' that, siller? You'll surely lay by the half o' it, to torture your bairns. Seven hundred a pound a year for doing nothing. Miss Jackie was afraid, unless they got some person of sense, which would not be an easy matter, to take the management of it, it would perhaps be found little enough in the long run. Miss Grizzy declared it was a very handsome income. Nobody could dispute that. At the same time, everybody must allow that the money could not have been better bestowed. Miss Nicky observed there was a great deal of good eating and drinking in seven hundred a year, if people knew how to manage it. All was bustle and preparation throughout Glenfern Castle and the young lady's good-natured activity and muscular powers were again in requisition to collect the wardrobe and pack the trunks, imperial, etc., of their noble sister. Glenfern remarked that fuels war fond of flitting, for they seemed glad to leave the good quarters they were in. Miss Grizzy declared there was a great excuse for their being glad, poor things. Young people were always so fond of a change. At the same time, nobody could deny but that it would have been quite natural for them to feel sorry, too. Miss Jackie was astonished how any person's mind could be so callous as to think of leaving Glenfern without emotion. Miss Nicky wondered what was to become of the christening cake she had ordered from Perth. It might be as old as the hills before there would be another child born amongst them. The misses were ready to weep at the disappointment of the dreaming bread. In the midst of all this agitation, mental and bodily, the long-looked-for moment arrived. The carriage drove round, ready, packed, and loaded, and absolutely screaming with delight, Lady Juliana sprang into it. As she nodded and kissed her hand to the assembled group, she impatiently called for Henry to follow. His adieus were, however, not quite so tonish as those of his high-bred lady for he went duly and severally through all the evolutions of kissing, embracing, shaking of hands, and promises to write, then taking his station by the side of nurse and child, the rest of the carriage being completely filled by the favorites, he bade a long farewell to his paternal halls and the land of his birth. End of chapter 19 Recording by Patty Cunningham